what He has done in our own life. We have seen what He has done in our nation. We have seen what the Lord has done. And Habakkuk first comes and says, I stand in complete and utter awe of who you are and what you have done. Lord, it is an amazing thing to think of what you've done. I mention all the time that we're reading through the Bible this year. It's just when you begin to read through in a systematic way what Scripture teaches about God, you see over and over and over again that God delivered His people, that He took care of His people, that He won a war for them, that He divided a sea for them, that He brought rain when they needed it, that they brought fire and cover, that He did all of the things that had to be done. And then you look in the New Testament and you read the stories of Jesus casting out and Jesus healing and Jesus paying for our sins, and you know that we serve a great God. But sometimes we forget it. One pastor has said, to know God is at once the easiest and the most difficult thing in the world. To know about Him is easy, and yet it is hard. So he prays, God, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by you. But then watch this. He says, I know of what you've done. Here's the second thing. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. What he basically says is, Lord, I know what you have done. Do it again. Lord, I know who you rescued. Rescue again. And one of the prayers of my heart over the last few weeks as we've been moving toward this day, towards a time when we're talking about moving forward with the Lord, one of the prayers of my heart has been, Lord, I don't want this church just to be about doing things the way churches do things. I don't want this just to be a place where we come and we have the nice pews and we have the nice sanctuary nice Sunday school classes and a good kids area and a good youth area and we have good programs and we have all this stuff. I, I don't want us just to be that. I want to be a place where God does it again. Where His power and His greatness is demonstrated again. Clay Winsky brought me a book um, the other day. Clay works at Lifeway and he gets stuff sometimes. And It's a book that actually is not out yet. It comes out this week. And, you know, there's just a passage in there that says something that I've said before, but I just was reminded of, and it, it said, how much of the stuff that you do in your church could you do if God wasn't even a part of the equation? Could you play the music that you play? Could you have the services? Could you have the fellowship? Could you read the Bible and talk about it? Could you do all those things? And to be honest with you, there are a lot of things in our lives, if we're honest with ourselves, that we would do even if God's power was not a part of it. But I don't want to be that. I want to be a place where we see God do it again. Habakkuk says, renew them in our day, in our time, make them known. And in wrath, and what he's saying is, God, I know that you wrath, I know that it's okay, I know that it is right, I know that you are punishing sin, but in your wrath, remember mercy. So the first thing Habakkuk does is he prays. And for us, in the midst of this, we need to be in prayer. We need to be in prayer for the people that are losing their homes, in prayer for the people that are losing their stuff, and be in prayer for the Gulf Coast that's going through another horrific disaster. We need to be in prayer for our country and all that is happening. We need to be in prayer for our church. But here's the second thing. We need to get a new vision of who God is. 
Verse 3 starts this kind of strange place where he says, God came from Tim and the Holy One from Mount Paran. There's some that think that that's uh, another name for Sinai. His glory covered the heavens. His praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. That may seem strange to say he looked and made the nations tremble, but you've all known somebody that can look at you and make you tremble, right? When I when I was growing up, my dad rarely got upset with me, but when he got upset and gave me the look, I trembled. It says that God looks and not just individuals tremble, but nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumble. The age-old hills collapse. His ways are eternal. This is just something I noticed reading through this passage again this morning. The ancient mountains crumble. The age-old hills collapse. What it says is we can't trust anything here on this earth, right? The ancient hills crumble. The age-old hills collapse. The idea there simply is this earth is fading away. But look what that's contrasted with. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountain saw you in wrath. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strove through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head. With his own warriors you stormed out to scatter us, floating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. Now I'll tell you that that's a lot of information. And we're not going to go through it eventually. But the point of that passage is, there is no God like our God. He is powerful. He does what He pleases. He is mighty. He is strong. He does whatever He wants to do. He stands and the earth trembles. He looks and it quivers. He is able to deliver rivers where they want to go. He's able to put oceans where they are. It's kind of like in that story of Job when Job questions God up to the point and he says, wait a minute, Job, before you go any further, where were you when I told the waters where to stop? Where were you when I told the streams where to go? Habakkuk just looks up and says, God, you are great. We see in this few verses the glory of God, the power of God, and the victory of God. But here's the last point I want to get to. I told you we're going to go quickly today. right? Verse 16. I, heart, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay, decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet, I will wait patiently for the day of the calamity to become on the nation invading us. He says, listen, God, when I look out and I know how great you are, how powerful you are, and I see what you've done, I begin to tremble and quiver because it frightens me a little bit. Because I don't know what's happening 
because the world seems to be collapsing around me, because I can't get control of anything in my life, because I can't find the power to be able to withstand whatever's happening. I'm worried. Now, I know that Jesus commands us not to worry in the New Testament. I know that he tells us that worrying cannot add a day to our lives. I know he tells us that there's enough about today to take care of than to worry about tomorrow or yesterday. But the truth is, we fall into the temptation of worrying sometimes. About life, about relationships, about weather. And what's amazing to me in my own life is the number of things I worry about that I can absolutely not control. I was thinking about that last night. I I usually go to bed early on Saturday nights, but there were storms rolling in. It had been kind of a rainy day, but not a stormy day here. And storms started to roll in about 10, 30, 11 o'clock last night. And I decided to to wade it through. And I was sitting there watching it. And I was, I don't know if you do this, and I may just be confessing. And if I am, y'all just nod and act like it's okay. All right? Don't think I'm crazy. And sometimes I watch the radar, and in my mind, I try to steer the storm around where I am. You know, like, oh, I think it's going to move that way. If it would just go that way a little bit, it would miss us. Or, oh, we better, I better, you know, move it. There is absolutely nothing I can do about the storm. Right? There's nothing I can do to control the weather. I can, now I'm not saying I can't pray about it and we can't pray to God's mercy, but there's nothing in my power I can do to control the weather. And here's the thing those weathermen, with their 4D Doppler super scoping radars, they can't do anything about it either. Now, I'm very thankful for them because they give us the information we need, but they can't control it. It's always interesting to me when they are watching it and they think they know what it's going to do, and then it changes. Well, that one doesn't look like that's going to have a bow echo or whatever they call it when the the tornado. That, that, that this storm does not look like there's enough rotation in the atmosphere, and and you know you you watched them yesterday. You know they came up with all the and and then suddenly, well, we didn't see this coming. Well, it's just a metaphor for what the rest of my life is like. There's a bunch of stuff in my life I have absolutely no control over. And what Habakkuk says is, when I see all that stuff, sometimes I just get frightened. Yet, it says. I will wait. One of the most difficult things in life to do is wait. Right? And, and I know we all know that, like at the doctor's office, all that, that, that. That's minor. Now, if you've been there for an hour and a half and you haven't been seen, it's not minor, but it's minor. But I'm talking about waiting patiently. Waiting on the floodwaters to recede. Waiting on a family member to come back to the Lord. Waiting on a business to turn around. Waiting on a test result from the doctor. Waiting on that appointment you've got set in a month that has a major impact on your life. Just waiting. But in Scripture, it tells us over and over again that if we're going to follow the Lord, there are going to be periods of waiting. Patiently. Now, we understand that in Scripture, waiting doesn't mean sitting doing nothing. Waiting means doing the things God called you to do, continuing in the way God called you to go, and to continue to move towards Him. But it means waiting. 
and verse 17. Verse 17 and 18 are two of the most powerful verses in Scripture. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Now let's talk about that for a minute. If verse 17 is true, what does that mean for that nation? Famine. Death. Disease. Terrible things. Plagues. I mean, if you're in a culture back then and you don't have a fig tree and you don't have grapes and you don't have olives and you don't have no food and you have no sheep and you have no cattle, you've got nothing. If that's the case, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. What he says there is, even if everything in my life collapses, I will still rejoice in the Lord. The way you deal with what's going on in the midst of what's happening in our world, what's happening in your life, is you just simply rejoice. Verse 19. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Um, Thursday we had a Bible conference here and one of the guys here talked about the background of the Bible, Dr. Thornberry from Union. And he talked about Psalm 23. In Psalm 23 where it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures, right? And he made an interesting point. He said, when we think about the green pastures, most of us in our mind go immediately to the Scottish highlands and sheep on just fields of green. And then he showed us a field of green pasture in Israel. And it was desert with patches of green. And he says, we get this idea that God is going to give us an abundance. It's not necessarily he's going to give us an abundance. He's just going to take us to the right spot. Now, one of the things it says here that I think is interesting, because it relates to that, is he then showed us about these sheep and about these different things, that, that we often forget the terrain of Israel are those mountains and hills that are rocky in terrain. There was a Discovery Channel or... I think it was Discovery Channel. It had a, a series called Life recently. Anybody see that? It's a description of animals, how they survive. And the first show showed this, this deer-like creature that a wolf was going after, and it was going up the mountain. And it was able to get to places that no other animal could, and it outran the wolf because it could climb those mountains with those nimble feet. Well, what he says here is, you make me like what? The deer who's able to get to those high places. Now, he doesn't just mean I can get up there and get see things. He means I can come to safety and I can get to places nobody can go. And the point there is when I rejoice and then when I rely on the Lord, I'm able to get to heights that I never could have imagined because of how great you are. And so in the midst of difficulty, we pray, we gain a new vision of God, and then we trust Him. We trust by waiting patiently, by rejoicing and relying. Verse 17 is one of those verses that you can customize in your own life. Though my children walk away and my business fails, though the floodwaters rise and take over my home and I lose everything I have, though my church doesn't fill my needs, Yet I will rejoice 
in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Now the truth is most of us will never experience that level of loss. But if we're able to rejoice in that moment, we're able to rejoice in any.